Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters podcast. This is episode 44. You've got Chris and Brian. Um, this time around, we're going to talk about spinny guns. Spinny guns! Woohoo! Um, Go ahead, punk. Make my day. Right? All that kind of stuff. Um, revolvers. Getting a little bit old school. Um, let's, let's start off with a question. Are revolvers still a viable tool in today's day and age? And if yes, what's the application? The ability to shoot a, a hammerless snubby through a coat pocket when it's stupid cold outside. Yes. And um, that's about it. The ability to jam the end of the muzzle between somebody's ribs with a hammerless snubby and fire rounds. Um, you know, so perhaps if you're a law enforcement officer or, or you're a concealed carry person, and you want to carry something like that, and your concern legitimately is is very, very, very close quarters conflict resolution. Um, maybe a snubby's a decent choice. Um, I don't know that I'm going to agree with you 100% on that, but if it, but I do think it's a viable choice. Maybe not the best choice. Um, big frame revolvers. If you want a cannon to go hunt with, um, because you need to knock something big, mean, and nasty down. You know, hopefully relatively quickly. Um, I still say that your competency, your skill with the gun will be significantly more important than whether or not the bullet is a 50 caliber bullet going 2200 feet per second or whatever the hell a 500 magnum is because it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, having having a gun you know how to use and you can hit repeatedly in the right places with may be of significantly greater value than something pushing a 240 grain bullet at 44 at 20 or pardon me 1400 feet per second that's that's not jumping out of your hands or hurting you every time you pull the trigger and teaching you how to flinch worse than Tina Turner on a bad day you know I mean I don't know um, so it just second crazy third, fourth fifth yes. shot becomes yep. a lot simpler with a 10 millimeter yes yes um, so you know there's there's this conversation around you know what what's the place of the revolver right now um, you know, revolvers are interesting to me. I grew up shooting double action Smith revolvers, um, you know, and, and, and I don't even know that I necessarily have a soft spot in, you know, in my heart for them mm-hmm. so much as it's nice to have a four inch revolver with iron sights and a long, decent trigger pull that you can pick up occasionally and go practice managing sight alignment and trigger press with something that's significantly more difficult than an auto pistol, in my opinion. Um, you know, so, so do revolvers have a place? I'll leave that up to you. I don't want to step on anyone's toes there. I know a lot of guys that really like them as small backup guns. Um, and so I'm going to start off with that part of the conversation as either a small CCW gun or a backup gun for law enforcement. Um, taking a Glock 26 and putting it right next to a Smith 642. They're almost the same height. They're almost the same length. The Glock's a little bit heavier when it's loaded but holds twice as many bullets, is way, way faster to reload, comes with better sights, probably, and can be knocked off and good sights can be put on it. Um, And then in addition, from a logistic standpoint, if you're in law enforcement and you're already carrying a G17 or G19, your big max fit your little gun. So when we start talking about, you know, where does the revolver fall in, in the law enforcement world, um, you know, maybe if you're narcotics and it's a backup gun for somebody who's plain clothes, who doesn't, can't be seen with a cop gun, um, maybe that old beater 36 or that old beater, you know, 642 or whatever is going to be a good option in that case, because it, it's not necessarily what the bad guys now think of as 5.0 wearing around every day. I don't know. I'm not a bad guy, so I'm not sure about that. Um, 
super slow to reload, pretty difficult to shoot well, tons of recoil, generally crappy sights. Again, that can be mitigated. Um, it's just one of those things that's hard to manage, hard to mitigate, hard to work with. It's the pro's gun. Um, you know, if you come into a gun store and somebody's trying to, you know, help their spouse figure out what kind of gun to buy, and you walk up and go, oh, just get the little lady a snubby. Um, if the you do that, idiot. yeah, if you do that in Cap City, um, expect to get called out, expect to be told you don't know what you're talking about and keep your opinion to yourself um, because you don't know what you're talking about and you should keep your opinion to yourself, especially if you wear sateen red Corvette jackets um, and cowboy boots and your best Dale Earnhardt hat. Um, that guy shouldn't give advice and talk about guns because he didn't know what he was talking about. So, um, having said that, a snubby's a great little gun to train with because it'll show you how good you really are if you are good. It'll show you what you need to work on if you're really not. Um, understanding some things like the timing of trigger staging and trigger manipulation along with the sights and the fact that you can get the gun out, get it rotated on target, get your finger on the trigger and start to stage that trigger as the sights come up into your visual area and then find that front sight and drop the shot and be successful with it makes it a whole lot easier with almost every other gun you'll ever pick up. And having said that, the same is true of a CZP07. Or any other good you know, double single gun, you can yep. learn the same lessons. Yeah. Um, learning how to reload a revolver fast, unfortunately, is a skill that doesn't carry over, like sight alignment and trigger press, um, doesn't carry over because in, generally, in general, you're switching your hand from your strong hand to your weak hand to draw um, some type of little loady loady device out and, and put it into the gun. And, and some of that manipulation is done with the attitude of the gun pointed up to unload it and down to load it. And a lot of those things will drive folks' eyes away from the threat um, and onto the gun for a significantly longer mm -hmm. period of time, which are all kind of bad habits that, you know, again, maybe you can use that tool to learn how to reload tactilely a little better. Uh, but it's just a tough beast to manage and not necessarily all the skills carry over to using an auto pistol. So, so be cognizant of some of those things if you are using it as an aid because it's a little bit harder in training. Maybe certain parts of that you don't want to put the but focus on. The reloading a revolver fast is what wins Jerry Meklick a IDPA championship every year for the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, unless you're, you know, that's what you're doing. Yeah. It's it's a cool party trick, but it's yeah. not necessarily a skill that's all that useful. Yeah, and, unless you're forced to carry that gun. Um, you know, there are police agencies out west um, where they have concerns about very, very large quadrupeds. Some that will eat you, some that will just stomp on you. Um, maybe in hopes of growing better grass for next year. I don't know. Um, but the reality check is there are some places where you're made to carry them and knowing how to reload it quickly when you know you're only going to have five, you know, five, six or seven rounds in the gun is a big deal, but there are very, very few people in that category. So and that still gets back to, you know, the Glock 40 and 10 millimeter yep. is probably going to do that same job and it's going to yep. do it a lot better. And, and probably cheaper to buy too, um, both from a gun and ammo perspective. Um, so yeah, so, you know, there are definitely some things to consider with that. Um, you know, I, I mentioned right off the bat a little bit, um, uh, some of the larger revolvers, if you're around dangerous game, uh, I think it's an interesting point that you would bring up. So I'll use that as our segue into the larger calibers. Um, knowing a number of people who go out west and bow hunt for elk, 
Um, more and more of those folks are picking up tags for things like cats, mountain lions, wolves, etc. have become a big issue again out west. Um, and, and so a lot, of, a lot of these guys now would have been carrying a Smith & Wesson, you know, 3-inch, 4-inch, 5-inch, 6-inch, 44 Magnum, a 29 or a 629 or something like that years ago. Um, a lot of those folks are switching over to auto pistols in 10 millimeter, uh, loaded with the right ammo. You're getting nearly 44 mag ballistics, but you're getting 14 rounds, 15 rounds or more in the gun. You're getting a hell of a lot less recoil, so the gun's a lot easier to handle um, and easier to train with, uh, and 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 possibly better sights. Depending a lot of these situations, if you stick an elk and it's at dusk, you may be gutting and quartering that elk out in the dark and have a night sights on your gun versus. A red or orange ramp insert in the middle of the night um, might be a real big deal when it or, comes to dealing with a cat or a bear. Now you're running a dot and you've got a light mounted on the gun too. That that as well. That as well. So um, yeah. So not not that Magnum caliber revolvers maybe don't have a place. I just don't know exactly if it's quite as strong a foothold as it used to be. Um, you know, the other thing I'll throw out there: if you're taking somebody with you who maybe isn't a pistol person. Um, and you want to teach them how to run a gun that potentially will be much more valuable to saving their life than the bow that they're carrying with them or the rifle they leaned up against a tree 30 feet away while they go to gut out and quarter out whatever animal. Um, you know, having that pistol that's on you all the time. How many times during a hunt do you set your bow down to glass? How many times during a hunt, you know, do you, you know, do set your primary weapon down whether that's a rifle or a bow, to do something, set up camp, start a fire, make food, make coffee, whatever, um, and, and it's not in your hands, and if you turn around and whatever, something needs shot right there, that, that pistol on you is a real big deal. Um, but the thing about the 10 millimeter auto, uh, or any other serious caliber auto, is that it's, it's not gonna beat you up in training anywhere near as much as that big revolver is. So. Um, again, not that I'm anti-big revolvers, but just something to, to kick around, and we're just seeing more and more usage there um, in that particular situation. So, um, you know, I, I won't even get into ballistics because that's out of my depth. That would be out of my lane. I don't know enough about that type of conversation. I just know the Buffalo Boar makes some stuff that looks really close to 44 mag coming out of a 4 to 6 inch 10 millimeter gun. So, something to kick around. Yeah, um, bringing up the you know the whole beating you up in training thing, um, guys running airweight Smith and Wesson six forty twos or the Scanium frame guns. Yeah, um, those you know everybody's like, oh, it's three fifty seven Magnum in this lightweight gun. Yeah, and you'll fire it in training about twice and dump the other three rounds out of the cylinder. Yeah, or or pay for it dearly, um, and maybe develop a flinch and do some bad things like that. The other thing to consider too. Um, at your nasty, nasty 125 grain, 350, 357 Magnum load out of a six inch gun is, is a sight to behold. And it is a for real man stopper out of your two inch gun. You might have the equivalent of a hot 38 load. Um, when you start cutting the barrel down that far, 357 Magnum needs barrel length to propagate velocity and you aren't going to get it. Having said that, you're getting even less velocity out of your 38 snubby than you are in your 38 six inch. So understand those things and understand that, that a two inch 357 Magnum does not equal a six inch 357 Magnum in terms of ballistics, velocity, and shootability, sight radius, not beating you up, etc. Um, if you can find me somebody who enjoys shooting 357 Magnum out of a 12 ounce Scandium airweight gun, 
um, I'll introduce you to somebody who is at the very least a mass a masochist um, and possibly has some psychological issues. Prove me wrong. Yeah. No. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, so definitely something to consider. And the same thing with the 500 guns, etc. And like I said, if you're taking out somebody who's maybe they're a hunter but they're new to handguns, teaching somebody to handle that big 44 mag or that big 500 mag or whatever the case may be. Um, I would opine that, that you're going to have better luck with an auto pistol, um, with a lighter recoiling auto pistol. That's just more ergonomic more than likely. So, um, reliability. Yeah. Functions. Yeah. Actually funny thing. We just had a conversation with a customer around this yesterday. Um, revolvers do some weird things that auto pistols don't, uh, from a, from a reliability perspective. And, and that's not to say that revolvers aren't aren't reliable guns. They're a good quality manufactured revolver, a Smith, a Colt, um, um, and I don't know enough about whoever Red else. Red Hawk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. Great example. Um, you know, built like a freaking hammer. You know, really good quality guns. Um, to say that these guns never have malfunctions or that if they have a malfunction, you just pull the trigger and all the BS around, well, I'd rather have six for sure in my revolver. Um, that's, that's not exactly how it works out. We do see some weird things from something as simple as high primers. A primer being loaded a little bit too high stops the cylinder from spinning. Um, from something like poorly manufactured ammo where you get bullet setback, like, or not setback, but bullet movement and the bullet unseats itself from the case mount and gets outside the end of the cylinder and shuts the gun down. Um, we see things like um, powder, unburnt powder, uh, where you get unburnt powder build up um, in, in the gun and the workings of the gun and, it, and it'll shut the gun down and that's that's a thing that you know anybody was a, an old school revolver person around him a lot's probably seen something like that happen. Um, or, or just simply parts breakage. Um, there are lots of little parts that interact with each other like little paws and springs that, that turn the cylinder and make the cylinder go around. Um, you know, that, that are, you know, made by man and fail at some point. In general, when a revolver fails, um, when the ammo fails, you pull the trigger again. But when the gun itself fails, it's usually catastrophic and you're done. So, um, you know, the Cirillo New York Reload was actually a thing because everybody carried revolvers. And if one of them, you know, if it went empty, grab another one. If it stopped working, grab another one. Who cares? Um, but it is actually a thing, whereas a lot of malfunctions with auto pistols, you can do some manner of, you know, immediate action, tap rack assess and go on and, and get the gun back in the fight with a revolver. That's often not the case. So understand that. Um, definitely understand that they do break um, outside of ammo issues. The other thing with revolvers is if you're a novice to revolvers and you don't understand things like as you take the gun apart and clean it, that the ejection rod is threaded. And if it starts to come loose and you don't know it came loose, it can often keep the cylinder from going back into battery. And that may be something where it extends just enough under those five or six shots that when you go to reload it, it won't go back into battery and fire. And there's some things like that that are technical pieces of knowledge you need to know about revolvers and, and specifically whichever one you're carrying to know that those things can fail on you and that you need to check them and PM them on a regular basis. Just like if you're a Glock guy, you'd know to check, you know, maybe that trigger return spring um, maybe the takedown lever spring and your uh, recoil spring and take a look at those things on a regular basis and make sure they're serviceable and functional. Um, it's the same thing with revolvers. Know that specific gun and maybe the analog will be a 1911 as well. If you carry a 1911 and stake your life on it, you probably should know how to tune your ejector. Same kind of conversation. If you carry a revolver, you should probably know what parts to look at and make sure they're where they're supposed to be and 
properly battened down so they work for you. I'll stop preaching. Yeah, so, agreed. Yep. Um, the last topic I'll throw out for revolvers, um, and, and I am I am just without even any apology stealing this mentality from Greg Elifritz. Um, active response training, is that the right? Am yeah, active right? response training.net. Yep. Um, one of the things that Greg talks about um, on, on his uh, uh, and the information that he puts out is the ability to purchase relatively inexpensive, used, well used, perhaps please trade in guns, etc. Guns that maybe don't look pretty, um, but like a lot of law enforcement guns have been carried and beat up, but not necessarily shot a whole lot. You can find some really good deals on used revolvers. Um, you know, and if you if you perceive some end of the world event or something like that, or you perceive maybe a financial meltdown, or even just localized disarray based on a long term weather situation or or whatever the case may be, politics, whatever you can dream up, um, having a few spare quality guns that you can hand out to a trusted neighbor, um, maybe to that family member who's not super, super skilled and needs something ridiculously simple, like here, here's a loaded gun, you know, pointed at something and pull the trigger if you need to, um, you know, there, that, that might be an application, um, you know, to keep an eye out for really, you know, again, but it's gotta be a quality brand name and it's gotta be, um, you know, in serviceable condition. And now we're back to what do you know about revolvers? Do you know enough to look a gun over real quick and make sure that the timing's not off? Um, you know, that the, the, that nothing looks worn out, beat up, shot out, or whatever. Um, and so we're back to knowledge because it's a different platform than most of us are used to. Having said that, I look at old Smith & Wesson revolvers a lot like an old Glock. Um, if I can basically run through a quick function check with the gun, I'm pretty confident it's going to work. And if the price is right, maybe buy it and throw it in the safe, you know, for a rainy day. So mm-hmm. if nothing else, go train with it and get used to atrocious trigger pull and hard to see sights. It'll make you better. Yeah. Cool. Um, revolvers don't suck. They just kind of suck. That's all. Their their time has passed. Oh, ouch. Ouch. He just said it. Yeah. Brian, that, that was Brian. That wasn't me. Chris didn't say that. Brian did. Come in and throw stones at him. So. I, I mean, it just it is what it is. <laughs> you know, you start looking at from a from a concealability standpoint, that pocket gun at Glock 43 does everything your little snubby is going to do. Yep. With the exception of being able to run it inside a pocket. And you can um, even do that for one. You just have to clear a malfunction. Yeah. yeah. And the reality check is if you're wearing a lined, a coat with lined pockets, um, and that lined pocket gets in the middle of the, this, you know, the cylinder as it, as it rotates, then that could shut your gun down too. So, again, the idea that they're infallible is simply not true. So, absolutely. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, we're on social media at Cap City Outfitters on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, visit us on the web at CapCityOutfitters.com and you can come talk to us. Stop in the shop in Hilliard, Ohio, uh, 4465 Cemetery Road. And, and we'll, we'll close with a joke. What do you call a guy with a revolver and a, speed, a, a snubby and a speed strip? An optimist. <laughs> Have a good one, guys. Thank you.